You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, this is where we were a couple weeks ago. Um, and... Uh, as I s- said two weeks ago when I taught, we we're going to look at holiness for 2021. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about my preparations for this week. Um, I've had two weeks to prepare, but um, this, this is just not really part of the lesson, but it kind of just goes to show some of the principles that we've learned um, after that lesson two weeks ago. I was trying to work on the lessons for this week and the following couple of weeks coming up. And I just felt like I was really under a lot of, of, of a spiritual attack, like I can't recall in a long time. Um, my mind was being filled with all kinds of thoughts that were just evil and wicked, and I, I, it was just this constant barrage of things that, um, that my mind was just being filled with. And I kept struggling and begging the Lord to help me, but just I, I couldn't seem to get past this. So I finally asked a friend to pray for me explain what was going on. And as I was explaining, all of a sudden it came, I started to understand that that was really just Satan just trying to fill my mind because of the, the lesson that I'm trying to teach, that he was just trying to fill my mind with all of these things that were blocking me. And so I, and so I asked some other friends also to pray for me. Um, and then one of my friends said, um, you shouldn't be teaching. You're not where you need to be but then none of us are. And yet knowing that is what can make you humble to be able to teach. And so that's why God can use you. And so that really made a difference for me. And I was able to get those thoughts from my mind with God's help, obviously, um, and just started using scripture to combat those thoughts. When the thought would come, I could use scripture to fight against that. And I just wanted to share that um, with you because I think so many times we get in a spot where we're trying to do the right thing and then Satan just hits us. And he knows, he's, he's so smart and he knows exactly how to hit us, where to hit us. And I just, um, I, just, I just wanted to share that. And as I was putting, started putting this, you know, the text of this lesson together, I started looking back at what I had said two weeks ago, and I had expressly mentioned that how my thought life, my manner of speech, and my fleshly desires need to be conformed to Christ. And I realized that that's right where Satan was hitting me, because I had stood up here and said that. And so he's, and I wrote this because I just wrote it down, and I said, he's devious, he's intelligent, and he's crafty, and he hates me. But my God is omniscient, all-wise, and inscrutable, and he loves me. All the wisdom that he has is there for the asking. All his power is available to me to resist the devil. And he's promised in his word. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So he's present with me. 
every moment in the form of his Holy Spirit to guide, direct, and provide the power to resist temptation. So we can, I can, and you can resist the devil through the power of God's word, through the power of prayer, drawing nigh unto God, because that's what the very next verse in James says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. And when we're near to God, we are in his protection and he provides the help we need to live and to live that, live and to be holy. So part of that is just a preview of the coming weeks um, of lessons today and, and the next two weeks as well. And the Lord allowed the devil to attack me so that this lesson could become really personal for me and more powerful in my own life. And hopefully, by, that, by extension, that power will transfer into your lives as well. So into today, two weeks ago we were in 1 Peter 1 and started talking about the command that God has given for us to be holy, to live in holiness we started to explore some of the things some of the things we looked at as what is holiness what does it mean to say that god is holy what does what does it mean to say that someone besides god is holy and why should we be why should we be focused on being holy so this this week we're going to look at that one carefully why should we focus on being holy and then look at some of the passages that where we're called to holiness and the amazing thing about the bible is where we're called to holiness there's always almost every single time there's that practical advice on how to do it and how to live holy because we know our God wouldn't exp tell us to do something that we can't do. So um, if we're there in 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll read verses 13 through 16. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, I'm not worthy to stand here. You know that. But you have me here, and I just thank you for all that you do. Lord, you're an amazing and good God, and you care for us and watch over us in so many ways. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the help that you give us every day, that you offer to us. That we just need to take it. Lord, I ask you to just be with me now. Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me, move me out of the way so that what I say today will be exactly what you would have God, you are so good. I thank you. I praise you for all that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look back a little bit on what we covered two weeks ago. And we looked at the definition of holiness. So we talked about um, you know, how using a dictionary that defines the words the way that they, they were defined at the time the, the text was written. We talked about using the Webster's 1828 dictionary, and we looked a little bit at the history of the word of holiness, uh, where its usage in our English language, and how in the mid-1800s it was at its peak. We were talking, everybody was writing about holiness. There was, it, was, it was a focus, and then it dropped off drastically into the 1920s and leveled out for many years, and then now... Since the 1980s, it's kind of increasing a little bit, certainly not to the level it was. And so, you know, there may be some hope there that, that people are starting to focus on holiness again because we see what happens when we don't. Um, we looked at the definition of holiness, 
And I'm going to read those definitions again so that they're fresh in our minds. Holiness is from the word holy, the state of being holy, purity or integrity of moral character, freedom from sin, sanctity. When applied to the supreme being, holiness denotes perfect purity or integrity of moral character, one of his essential attributes. Applied to human beings, holiness is purity of heart or dispositions, sanctified affections, piety, moral goodness, but not perfect. And we also looked at the definition for the word holy, since holiness is derived from that. And holy says properly whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense, hence pure in heart, temper, or dispositions, free from sin and sinful affections. Applied to the supreme being, holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. And man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified or purified from evil dispositions. We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God and his life is regulated by the divine precepts. Hence, holy is used in nearly synonymous with good, pious, and godly. We talked about a little bit about those two differing different definitions, the one when focused on God and then focused on man. Um, when applied to God, we see the essence of the word, the, the ultimate vi- vision of what holy means, the, the perfection of the word, because God is perfectly whole, entire, and perfect in a moral sense. There's nothing that can make him more moral. His entire character is holy, and holiness describes him, perfectly pure, immaculate, without any sort of spot or blemish, and complete in moral character. And then I, I appreciate the way that Webster's... 1828 applies that, and we, we say, it says when we, we call a man holy when he is conformed in some degree to the image of God, and his life is regulated by the divine precepts, so we can use the synonyms good, pious, and godly while we're talking about holiness. So we, and we see that there's degrees of holiness. We become more holy, more conformed to the image of God as we seek to emulate and conform ourselves, our lives to the image of Christ and the character of Christ. It's a lifelong process, and one that's, I think, speaking personally, is neglected by many, if not most, Christians. Uh, We mentioned how the word holiness and holy is used over 500 times in the Bible and almost always refer to either God himself, the things of God, the word of God, or even the people of God. We talked about God's holiness. And we we mentioned some verses in Leviticus. God speaking through Moses says over and over again things like, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and so on. We talked about how God is holy because he is holy. It's who he is. It's what makes him God. God's people are called to be holy because we're associated with him. We carry his name, and he desires his name and his people to be holy. We read the quote from A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy, and I'm going to read it again because it's so good. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than what it is. Because he is holy, his attributes are holy. That is, whenever, whatever we think of belonging to God must also be thought of as holy. We talked about the attributes of God how holiness is that culmination of all of God's attributes. We use the, the illustration that the pastor used of the, the white light going through the prism. We see all the colors of his holiness in his other attributes, but when we, when we bring it down 
to the, that one white light. That's the holiness of God. And we talked about each of the attributes, and I'm going to just run through them, not speaking much on them because we spent a lot of time on them last week. But we talked about how God is incomprehensible. We can't wrap our minds about our, around who he is. He's self-existent. He exists because he, he is. He said, I am that I am. He exists because of, of himself. He's self-sufficient. We talked about the, the relation between that and, and his, self, his self-existence. But his self-sufficiency means that he just continues to be able to, he continues to exist because of himself. Not only has he always existed because of himself, but he continues to as well. He's eternal. We talked about how he has no beginning and no end. Um, he's infinite. And we talked about that infiniteness, that how it applies to all of his other attributes. We talked about his, his goodness and his, his purity, his holiness, his omnipotence, his omniscience, all of that. It's all infinite. There is, there's no bounds to what he has. His wisdom, that we have that, that link right into. Um, we talked about his omnipotence, how he has all the power. There is no, there's nothing that he cannot do. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And the, the definition that we read, God possesses without prior discovery of facts. He doesn't have to figure anything out or have someone teach him. God possesses without prior discovery of facts, complete and universal knowledge of all things, past, present, and future. And we listed a whole list of things that he knows because of his omniscience. We talked about how he's omnipresent. So he is everywhere. There's nowhere that we can run and hide from him. I can remember in my early life, I tried. (laughs) But he was always there. He was always there. He's all wise. He has all that knowledge, all that omniscience, and he knows how to apply it to our lives. And he's willing to give it freely. All we have to do is ask. He's immutable. He never changes. He's sovereign. This is so important in our day and age that we live in now. He's in control. We don't have to worry about what's happening because he is in control. He's light. In him is no darkness at all. He's inscrutable. We can't figure out sometimes what he's up to. In our, again, in our current day and age, it was kind of, might be kind of hard to figure out what is God up to in all of this. But we don't have to figure it out. We have to trust him. He's faithful. He's immutable, unchanging, and he's always faithful, infinitely faithful. He's true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You can always look to him and his word for the source of truth, no matter what other kind of truth is being thrown around. And he's good. He's good. Can you imagine if he wasn't good and he had all that power, all that knowledge, all that everything, all of the infiniteness, and he was not good? So thankful. He's just and righteous. He's merciful and gracious. God is love. And God is holy. We talked again about how that holiness encompasses all of his attributes. And our holy God calls us to be holy, to be set apart, to be different, a light in this world. To be morally pure in this filthy, perverse world. And to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
So as we, as we discuss God's attributes, we should be getting a vision of his holiness. And that vision, for me, it causes me to realize and acknowledge and beg forgiveness for my lack of holiness. And I hope it does the same for you. I want to take a look at some instances in the Bible. I could think of several. Um, we're going to look at one in particular today where a man was confronted with the holiness of God and what his reaction was and what our reaction should be. I think of several instances. I can think of Moses when he was, when he was at the burning bush or Moses, again, when he asked to see God's glory. And God said, you can't see my face, but I'll, I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by and you can see me from the backside. Amazing. Think about the boldness of Moses when he did that. Asking to see God's glory. Ezekiel had visions of heaven and of the Lord and of the, you know, think of the wheels and, and those prophets that saw that, um, that, that experienced the amazing glory and holiness of our God. If you turn in to, to Isaiah chapter 6, this is the one we want to focus on today. Think of, again, just thinking of Daniel had visions of, of heaven and, and the future and he had the opportunity to see visions of God and his glory. And think of John the Apostle in, in, the, in Revelation. He saw that again too. Just amazing, amazing opportunities that the, these men had to see and their response was almost always exactly the same. So if you're there, in Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. We see God's sovereignty and glory. He's sitting high on a throne. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, this is Isaiah speaking, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Verses 1 through 4 give this description of what Isaiah saw. I, I can't, it's words, right? We, I, you, you can't imagine what he saw, and he tried to put it into words. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried on to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. Can you imagine that booming voice of the seraphim crying out? And the house was filled with smoke. 
we see that sovereignty of God his, and his glory. How the hosts of heaven are worshiping him continually, calling attention to his holiness every moment. Not only his holiness, but his mark upon creation, upon the entire earth, because it says the whole earth is full of his glory. We can look around us, look out at the snow that's falling today. What a, what a beautiful creation. Might not, enjoy, <laughs> might not enjoy the cold and the snow, driving in the snow, but when we stop and just think about the beauty of that, a single snowflake, you look at that under a microscope and you see the intricacies of a tiny snowflake, the entire earth is full of his glory. Verse 5 is Isaiah's response, and we'll talk about that. In the, in the face of that perfect holiness and majesty before him, Isaiah immediately realized his complete lack of holiness. He recognized it not only in himself, but his entire nation. Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone. Undone is something that we, we don't use that terminology, but he's completely just wiped. There's, he, he has no answer. He's undone. Woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. For I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he recognizes not only for himself but also his people. How true that is for us today. Even more than ever we live among a people of unclean lips and deeds. So he recognizes his, his unworthiness, his, his lack of holiness in comparison we talked about God is this, he's not, he's not something, he is not held to a standard, he is the standard, right? Then we see the cleansing in verses 6 and 7. Then, through, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. The Lord sends his messenger to bring cleansing to Isaiah taking away his iniquity and purging his sin. I thought it was interesting. Isaiah recognized his sin, his unclean lips. He, noted, he recognized that immediately. But he didn't mention the iniquity that was held in his heart that was the root of that. So he cried out and asked forgiveness for his sin, and God sent the cleansing, sent the seraphim. But in sending, in sending that seraphim, the Lord helped him not only see it was his sin, but he also saw that iniquity that it was, in, it was in his heart, and he was cleansed of that as well. And, he, and then verses 8 and beyond, if you continue in, that, in reading that chapter, Isaiah accepts the cleansing that's offered, and he volunteers his life to go as a prophet. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Hear my, send me. Because of his recognition of his sinful state and his acceptance of the cleansing power of God, he's used and becomes one of the greatest prophets in history. Here I am. Send me. I see in this account, I see five stages of what our response should be to the holiness of God. First, we recognize it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, is the Lord of hosts. Secondly, we recognize our own lack of holiness, our uncleanness, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Third, we cry out to God, acknowledging our lack of holiness. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fourth, by accepting, accepting that cleansing that the Lord off, offers, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Have you ever wondered why James says faithful and just? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins? Shouldn't his justice demand payment? He is just because that payment has already been paid. It's already been settled in and through Jesus Christ. He would be unjust to also demand payment of us. I think sometimes we forget that Christ has already paid the debt. And we still, especially when we succumb, fall to temptation, fall to sin, it feels like we have to do something to make up for it, to pay for it, when in fact, what we have to do is confess it. And he takes the burden of the sin away. And like Isaiah, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So we recognize the holiness of God. We recognize our own lack of holiness. We cry out to God, acknowledging our sin, confessing our sin. We, fourth, we accept the, the cleansing that he offers. And then finally, we carry that message to others. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And we reply, here am I, send me. In carrying that message to others, we should be following the command to be holy. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the response is we see the holiness, we see our lack of holiness, complete and opposite, right? We ask for forgiveness, we accept the forgiveness, and then we start living that holy life. And by living that holy life, God says, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Isn't that why we're here? We're here to bring him glory. So God commands us to be holy. That's how we, that's how we let our light shine. I'm going to read another quote from A.W. Tozer. God is holy, and he has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Sin's temporary presence in the world only accepts, accents this. Whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is a moral sickness that must end ultimately in death. The formation of the language itself suggests this. The English word holy derived from the Anglo-Saxon halig, hal, meaning well or whole. Since God's first concern for his universe is its moral health, that is its holiness, whatever is contrary to this is necessarily under his eternal displeasure. To preserve his creation, God must destroy whatever would destroy it. When he arises to put down iniquity and save the world from irreparable moral collapse, he is said to be angry. Every wrathful judgment in the history of the world has been an act of preservation. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, the health of creation are inseparably united. God's wrath is his utter intolerance of whatever degrades and destroys. He hates iniquity as a mother hates the polio that would take the life of her child. And so he commands us to be holy. Leviticus 19.2, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. And I'm going to read, an, just content, this is a continuation of 
of that quote from Tozer. God is holy with an absolute holiness that knows no degrees, and this he cannot impart to his creatures. But there is a relative and contingent holiness which he shares with angels and seraphim in heaven and with redeemed men on earth as their preparation for heaven. This holiness God can and does impart to his children. He shares it with them by imputation and by impartation because he has made it available to them through the blood of the Lamb. He requires it of them. To Israel first and later to his church, God spoke, saying, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He did not say, Be ye holy as I am holy, for that would be to demand of us absolute holiness, something that belongs to God alone. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Not be ye holy as I am holy. I'm going to look at some, some chapters and verses that talk about living in holiness. If you would hurt, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to see here, God's, again, God's great desire for us to be holy. And his reason for it. We're going to start in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the heads which hang down in the feeble knees, and make straight the paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed." Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So here again, we see this great desire of God to be holy, for us to be holy. He loves us so much. And he will chasten us to help us conform to the image of Christ, yielding the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Righteousness, which is that right living holiness in our lives. Unto them which are exercised thereby, those who are chastened are able to yield to produce that peaceable fruit of righteousness. And in a couple verses down, we see this. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. This goes back to the holiness of God. Because of his perfect holiness, we cannot be in his presence. We cannot see him if we are living an unholy life. This is why we must be continually confessing our sin. Many times we heard pastors say, keep a short account with God. When we are living in sin, allowing iniquity to be present in our lives, we are not getting to see God, not getting to see him working in our lives, we're not going to see him showing himself strong on our behalf. But the remedy is simple. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just like Isaiah who cried, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. The Bible says then, when we go back, if we go back to Isaiah, after he said that, the Bible says then, flew a seraphim and touched Isaiah's lips with a live coal. Then, as soon as Isaiah had confessed his sin, God immediately sent cleansing. 
so too we have to confess. And then, immediately, we receive the cleansing power of his forgiveness. And verses 14 and 15 say, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without, without which no man may say God, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of, of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So we also see something here that can cause us to sin, to cause us to, to lose our holiness, <clears throat> that root of bitterness. pastor just spoke um, a week ago Wednesday on bitterness and getting, the rooting the, getting that root of bitterness out of our lives. We have to get it out because bitterness defiles. Man, thereby many be defiled and it's the root of many other sins. Having that root of bitterness allows Satan to work in our lives. And we're going to turn over to Romans chapter 12. Just take another look at another, another portion of scripture where God calls us to be holy. This one's very familiar. Many lessons, I think, have been taught on this from this passage. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace of God given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another." Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, giving ourselves wholly over to the service of the Lord is simply our reasonable service. It's what we should do given the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. I also see a couple of things that should help us in our pursuit of holiness. I see being in the word, the renewing of your mind, being consistently and often in the word will keep our minds on the things of Christ. We are, we are bombarded and inundated every, on every side by the things of the world every single day. If we are to have a fighting chance, we must counter and attack the, counteract the attacks with Scripture. For every attack that Satan throws at us, we must be ready with Scripture with which we can resist him. The second thing I see is humility. Recognizing that there is only one standard, Jesus Christ. Paul knows, that men, knows men in our tendency to compare ourselves with others, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. The best person in this room still falls far short of the standard of God. Our tendency is to look around and say, yeah, I'm doing okay compared with this person or that person. The reality is that other people aren't the standard against which we should compare ourselves, and they're certainly not the standard against who, that we will be judged against. Another important piece, and not to be missed here, is the importance of the body of Christ. We being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. This means that when I sin, I am lacking in holiness, and it affects you, and vice versa. When you sin, it affects me. Just as in a body, when one part of the body is not well, not whole, the rest of the body suffers along with it. 
Conversely, just as in a body, when one part is exceptionally well and whole, the rest of the body is lifted up. So we must encourage one another in holiness. By encouraging each other in holiness, we are going to find that we are also more holy. As Christians, we need to stop worrying, wringing our hands with the wrongs that are in this world and focus on our own holiness and encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ in their holiness. That's where our true power lies. Following peace with all men in holiness, without which we shall not see God. Until we're focused more on holiness and not on the world, we're not going to see God in our lives. We're not going to see him moving on our behalf in the world. Just as I was able, at the beginning I mentioned, to start combating, combating the devil's attacks against this lesson through the prayers of my friends and through scripture, we need to keep that focus. Focusing on holiness and encouraging it and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.